Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Mets fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And Chris, we are here uh, since we have not recorded since the end of the World Series. So, uh, the smallest of congratulations to the Houston Astros for their uh, World Series victory. At least it's not the Phillies. Anyway, moving on from the World Series, it is free agency time in baseball, <laughs> and the Mets made a big splash early by signing Edwin Diaz to a record five-year, $102 million contract. This contract has a full no-trade clause, and he has an opt-out after the third year. There's also a $12 million signing bonus with that contract. Um, You and I have very publicly been about the it's-not-our-money-who-cares conversation when it comes to who the Mets sign and for how much. And that is very much how I feel right now. But I think even stronger than that, I think there are certain things that a team can do just to make their fan base calm down a little bit. And I think signing Diaz to this big of a deal is a sign that the Mets front office is saying, like, we got this. Don't worry. We're going to be okay here. We, uh, we're we going to take things seriously, and we're going to pay the players what they deserve. Um, I know you were a fan of this deal as I was, but do you have any sort of particular thoughts on it uh, in terms of the length, the amount of money, et cetera? Uh, hey, it, this is 
what it takes to keep that type of pitcher around. And I, I think it's going to be a, a good continued relationship among the team, the player and, and fans. Uh, look, it, you come into New York and put up the type of first season that Edwin Diaz did. It was not a good one by any stretch of the imagination. And to turn that around uh, and get back to being the dominant pitcher that he always was. Now, whether or not it was, you know, primarily uh, on him, on something that they were doing with him in the first season that he spent with the Mets, or just the actual baseball, which, uh, you know, that year was the ultimate uh, in the hitter-friendly ball, to put it nicely. Mm -hmm. And home runs spiked throughout the game and Diaz really, really suffered from that more than, uh, more than most. Uh, I felt like all pitchers did, but he saw his home run rate just absolutely skyrocket that season. So I, I don't know. I don't want to just chalk it up entirely to that and say that he had nothing to do with that bad performance that year. But since then he's either been very good or best reliever in the game. Uh, and that's a that's a nice range of performance to have. So, yes, yes. It's a long way of saying that I think that season truly looks like an outlier. He's still just 28, um, and yeah, uh, they they have a good thing going with him. And you know, if in three or four years it doesn't feel like he's quite the guy anymore, um, that is when we can again, if we're still podcasting at that time, remind you that it is. Just Steve Cohen's money. Yep. It's a billionaire's uh, money. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. End of story. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited that he's sticking around. Um, I, I wrote about it on the site a little bit the morning after that signing uh, news came out that they still have to build a bullpen, uh, the rest of the bullpen. <laughs> if you look at roster resource on, uh, on fan graphs, which is always a pretty reasonable uh, projection for what a roster, a roster would look like at any given point in time. Um, they don't have another relief pitcher in-house who I would really trust. Drew Smith, sure, maybe is like the fourth, fifth, sixth guy on that list. Um, but they've got some work to do to fill out that bullpen so that it's not just Diaz and then the bullpen as a whole ends up with like a four ERA because his is one and everybody else's is five and a half. Right, right. No, I, I think that's a very good point. Uh, there is a lot of work to be done in terms of building out that bullpen into something that is manageable. And, you know, the Mets bullpen was an interesting beast this past year where it seemed like I mean, they, they, they did not have a terrible bullpen, but it never seemed like a game was in hand until it got to Diaz, right? There was just, I felt like there was this tightrope walking that happened the entire time. And, I mean, to be fair, to a certain degree, that is just bullpen, right? That is what every bullpen feels like in the majors most of the time. But if they could fortify that bullpen a little bit, uh, especially by bringing in a, a quality lefty for the bullpen, that would make me feel a whole lot better as a fan going forward. Um, However, we're talking about Diaz, and I think the signing is really important for a couple of reasons. As you said, he's been possibly the best reliever in baseball. He has been 
uh, remarkably consistent for the team. But I think also there is a value, and, and this is sort of an off-the-field thing, but I think that this matters. I think that Diaz, more than any other player for the 2022 or even 2021 Mets, I think that if you look at who he's been for the team, he has made the team feel big time. He's made the team feel mainstream. I mean, the fact that the narco introduction going viral is something that people will remember long past whether they're, when people remember that more than they'll remember how the Mets lost that season um, in a year or two. Like, you know, nobody will remember necessarily their bounce in the first round. I mean, when I say nobody, I don't mean Mets fans. I mean, so the general baseball public, that was one of the more uh, widespread cultural baseball moments of the last decade or so. Um, you know, it was getting, it was getting, it got millions and millions of views on Twitter. It was being played on SportsCenter. You know, those things just don't happen that often. And I think that. Steve Cohen really wants this team to be a big deal, and 90% of that happens on the field, but 10% of that happens off the field. I think Diaz is a big part of that continuing to happen off the field. I think that he is a really good avatar of what a baseball team's marketing department can do. And really, we really should give more of the credit to SNY and the way they presented that um, entrance than we should the Mets themselves. But I think the point still stands. I think that when you have a player like that who is so emblematic of what you want your team to be from a from a like um, branding and marketing standpoint, as much as I hate thinking about baseball in those terms, I do think Diaz was important to bring back for that reason. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's just one of those things that it feels like he achieved that level of stardom and it's nice to get to continue to watch that uh, primarily because of how well he pitches. But uh, this is, this is sort of a, I don't know. I, the face of the Mets at the moment, maybe. Well, he, he seems comfortable it's, it's, being the face of the Mets, whereas someone like DeGrom, I think should be the face of the Mets. Relievers aren't usually what you. Yeah. Yeah. Both of those things are true. Uh, relievers usually are at the face of the team, and also maybe someone like DeGrom isn't as comfortable in the spotlight as someone like Diaz is. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I've I, I thoroughly enjoyed the Timmy Trumpet appearance and think it was an awesome thing that they did. I cannot imagine DeGrom being like, yeah, sure. Yeah, bring in whatever's left of uh, Leonard, Leonard Skinner. Skinner. <laughs> <laughs> to come play on the field while I come in f- into a game. No. Can you imagine a sadder pregame performance than the ghosts of Leonard Skinner playing uh, Simple Man? Uh, no. No, I can't. I believe that the, the singer of Leonard Skinner now is the brother of the singer who died, and I believe this guy's a big Trump guy. So, yeah. Let's not do that. Um, so moving on from Diaz, the Mets also, uh, made some decisions based on the options that were out there to pick up for various players. And let's see if we can run all these down. They picked up Carlos Carrasco's $14 million option, um, as our own, uh, I forget, I think it was vast. Somebody from the site tweeted 
that because there was a buyout involved, it's really only like an $11 million commitment because they would have had to buy them out for $3 million. And so you figure, there is, uh, to me, there is no starting pitcher worth $11 million who is as good as Carlos Carrasco. And if you think otherwise, I kind of think you're nuts. I think Carrasco is a perfectly cromulent fourth or fifth starter for the Mets. I, I cannot imagine anybody necessarily disagreeing with that, but you know, I guess that's that's your right to believe that or not believe that. Um, they also picked up the option for Daniel Vogelback for one and a half million, which again is like a, a stupidly low price for what you're going to get from Vogelback production-wise for next year, even if he's just a bench piece. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, they also picked up the option for John Curtis, who is a reliever they signed in April. They signed him to a big league deal with an option for this year. Um even though he was going to miss all of last year for Tommy John surgery, because I guess they, they just figured this would be a cheap way to get a, a bullpen piece. Now, I don't know a ton about Curtis. He had a very good season in 2020, had a less good season in 2021. But again, for less than a million dollars, the option was for 775000 For less than a million dollars, that's a that's a slam dunk of a move. I don't know why you wouldn't do that. That seems like a, a very silly uh, thing to turn down, because that is essentially as cheap as you can get for a lottery ticket reliever in baseball. So, yeah, go ahead and do that. And they also declined the option on Michael Givens, which I don't think surprises anybody. Though I do want to say I, I, I there is a certain amount of, of uh, sympathy I have for Givens because I do not believe that Givens was... Um, I do not believe he is as bad as he initially was uh, perceived to be when he came over to the Mets. And even though he pitched well down the stretch, I think he will always be remembered as just a big, big disappointment for the Mets. And I think he probably should have had maybe a slightly better outcome than what he got. Uh, do you agree with that? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, he was never going to be the guy that was with the Orioles and uh, putting up really good numbers for a, a few years in a row. But to come in and give up five runs and two-thirds of an inning in your first appearance, <laughs> um, that's a tough one to recover from. And his overall performance was not great. Uh, I still would have been fine if they had picked up the option because, uh, as we mentioned a couple minutes ago, they need to build an entire bullpen. Um, but I get it. And maybe it's the kind of guy who would come back for less, or they just figure that there's uh, a, a bunch of other relievers who are in that same category and that they'll win the game of musical chairs in early February when the unsigned guys are looking for places to uh, to go to spring training and, and actually just play. So we'll see. I mean, I expect free agency to continue to shake out that way. Last off season was obviously extra weird because of the lockout, but mm -hmm. um, yeah. So if he ends up pitching somewhere else, I don't think anybody's going to lose any sleep over it, and it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that, that that that's a good way to put it. I, I think that there's a um, there's a chance they bring him back, and I think if they bring him back, he will have the opportunity to write a better story. Um, for himself as a Met, but I wouldn't be shocked if he winds up elsewhere. In fact, I'd probably, I'd probably bet pretty heavily that he would wind up elsewhere. Um, 
because it just seems likely that he would be going elsewhere. Uh, the only other option news is that Chris Bassett declined his mutual option with the team and will elect for free agency. And that uh, that plays into our next bullet point here, which is the qualifying offers that the Mets extended or didn't extend. The Mets had four players they were uh, able to extend qualifying offers for. They chose to extend them to three of them. They did not extend a qualifying offer to Taiwan Walker. They extended one to Chris Bassett, to Jacob deGrom, and to Brandon Nimmo. Um, would you have done anything differently uh, from this? Or is this what you... Uh, what you would have done as well if you if you were the Mets GM if you, if you were a uh, a probably better version of Billy Epler. I think it would have come out the same. I could see giving one to Walker, but I think if you did that, you'd have the expectation that he would accept it. Um, kind of curious too if Bassett maybe accepts it. Uh, I, I know he had a, a better year. Ben Walker overall, um, but I believe the system is still the same. Where if you have gotten a qualifying offer, you can only get it once, right? I don't think that changed in the new agreement. I believe you're correct, but don't forget Bassett's option was for 19 million, and the right. qualifying offer was like 19.3, I think. And so, if he wanted to come back for 19, I don't know if that 300 thousand dollars would have necessarily been enough to entice him to take the qualifying offer. No, but if he could burn his once in his career qualifying I guess that's, offer, I guess that's true. Yes, I guess that's and true. Then, and then yeah. accept for essentially the same amount of money, then he's decided to stay. Except when that year is up, then he can't get the qualifying offer again. Right. So very good point. Um, I could see him going that way with it, but yeah, I, I'm okay with not doing doing it for Walker. I, I do think people. Have, may have been a little too harsh on him overall because of his second half numbers the last couple of years, but um, the Mets certainly got at least what they paid, if not substantially more, out of him on the those first two years. Um, or Sorry, the only two years that he was with them. Um, and then uh, Nimmo and DeGrom are obvious. Those are guys who, if they don't come back to the Mets... They're I'm sorry. To I, was totally, again, I was totally. I was I was totally wrong. Wait, I got. I got to admit this. Bassett's option was for 19 million. Walker's was for six million. I totally understand the client that 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 offer. Okay, sorry, sorry. Just wanted to make that put that out there before someone yelled at me. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, I, I made myself a little spreadsheet here, and I, I I had put the value in the wrong box. So my apologies. No, all good. Um, yeah. So. No, no issues with any of those. DeGrom and Nimmo are obviously going to get signed well ahead of whatever the deadline is to get compensation if they leave the team. Uh, and I think that's true for Bassett, too. So I don't think there's going to be a, a Michael Conforto situation um, with any of these guys as, as the winter plays out. Yeah, I think that, that, that seems pretty likely to me as well. Um I'm interested to hear your thoughts on those four free agents. You know, I think there's a very good chance that more than one of those guys winds up back with the Mets. I think it's probably unlikely that three of those guys wind up back with the Mets. I think it's probably two or one. I would think if you're the Mets, your top priority is going to be DeGrom. 
I know that Cohen has said in the past that he will do whatever it takes to get the ground back. Um, and I would say after that, it's my thought is probably Nimmo, but Nimmo has got Boris as a client, and we know that Boris and the Mets haven't always played well together. Although I think a lot of that is Sandy Alderson. So maybe with Alderson taking a, a lesser role here, maybe that will change. But sort of what is your feeling as of, you know, November 11th, uh, you know, what is what is your feeling about the, uh, the the chances of these four guys returning to the Mets? Um, DeGrom and Nimmo, I guess, feel pretty much straight up 50-50 to me. And there's an interesting uh, thought going through my mind that I still want to try to break the habit of thinking that we can only have one thing as Mets fans. <laughs> right, the, yeah. The either or instead of why not both. But if the Mets are operating in a way that bringing DeGrom back means that uh, Bassett, Walker are out and David Peterson is slotted into you know the fifth starter role to start next season, uh, is that preferable or would we rather have two pitchers of a Bassett or Walker type of quality, right? Uh, I I can't help but land on the DeGrom option. I I don't know. There's just something about the fact that he's been a Met his entire career, that when he is healthy, he is the best pitcher there is. Uh, and I know they had Scherzer and DeGrom at the top of the rotation going into the playoffs and did not make it out of the first round. But I think if you asked me to choose, those would still be the two guys that I would pick for that role. Um, you can maybe make an argument against Scherzer at this point versus some other pitchers that are out there, but he is a Met. So, um, I also that think is, that it, it seems pretty clear that Scherzer and DeGrom were not at their full strength in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. So finding a way to manage that especially with the bar for the playoffs lowered so much. Like, I don't want to say, oh, we're just staying for 90 wins instead of 101. Obviously, you want to do everything you can. And I don't think as the season went along, there was ever a point that you said, oh, geez, the Mets, uh, you know, they're really pushing these guys too hard. Um, Scherzer, between him and the team took a step back. He was instantly in the season, you could say maybe – that needed to happen and it didn't and they weren't as honest about uh, sort of where he was at going into that start in the playoffs but um, if you can find a way to balance that a little bit as next season plays out and if you can plan for rest and focus on those guys being the best version of themselves in October that would definitely be a step up yeah, I just think that DeGrom is, you know, every every era of of every team has the, like, the avatar of that era, right? The person who represents that piece of history. And sometimes that avatar is a not great player but manages to become the sort of star because it's a team that's bad. You know, I, I think if you're looking at, like, the, you know, early 2000s, the early teens of this century for the Mets, 
you know, at that point, I think David Wright's star had slipped a little bit, but David Wright was still the sort of the avatar of the Mets, even when he was dealing with injuries and all that sort of stuff, up until, let's say, the 2015 World Series. And I think after that, it's DeGrom. I think he is the face of the franchise. I think he is the, um, I mean, like you said, when he's healthy, he's the best pitcher in baseball. And unfortunately, he hasn't been that healthy the last season or two. And it is tough to tell if these injuries are things that are going to be plaguing him long term. If his injury this year is something that can repeat itself, we, we just don't know yet, right? But I think when you're dealing with a generational talent like DeGrom, who also happens to be sort of the face of the franchise, I, I, I just think you have to bring that guy home. I think the reason you would argue against bringing DeGrom back is the amount it's going to cost to get him here. To which point, I will say again, Steve Cohen has billions of dollars to spend. Steve Cohen has pieces of art that will be worth, that he paid more than he will pay for DeGrom's contract. So I I just feel like you, you have to take the chance on DeGrom being the generational talent that you know he is. Hell, give him an opt-out after two seasons if you're really worried about it. I, I, I really think he winds up with a deal very similar to what Scherzer got for a little bit more average annual value. Um, and maybe maybe a fourth year in there instead of three years, maybe it's a fourth year, and you still give him an opt-out after two. And I think if he opts out after two years, depending on the two years that he has, then you can have this conversation again. I just think he's not that far removed from being unquestionably the best pitcher in baseball. The first half of 2021, he was not only the best pitcher in baseball, he that that's among the best half-season performances by any pitcher in the history of the sport. That wasn't that long ago. You know, this year he was injured, he came back and they they were very very careful with him and it seemed like he ran out of gas, you know, towards the end of the year. That is not a promising forecast for next year, but that is certainly not the end of the world. Lots of people flamed out at the end of the year. Look at Scherzer. Look at Bassett. You know, this tends to happen to pitchers every now and then. I think if the Mets bring back DeGrom, like you said, DeGrom and Scherzer need to have a lightened workload for next season. I think you, I mean, I'm not saying you go to a six-man rotation or anything like that. I just think that you have to be more careful about them. And I think that if there's a slight injury to either of those guys next year, you have to put them on the IL for 10 days. It's just 10 days. It's two starts. And I think if there was a um, if there was a, a reason to, to, to maybe, I don't want to say lie, but if there, if there was a reason to limit the amount of telling the press or the fans about their injuries, I don't think that that, is necessarily ever going to like I, I don't think that the benefit of being coy about their injuries is as great as the benefit of giving them extra rest and making sure that they're healthy when they come back. So I would I would go all in on DeGrom. Um I, I think it's a move that may very well wind up biting them in the ass if it doesn't if he doesn't live up to what they hope he will. But I don't see any evidence to think that he's going to be a horrible failure if this if this contract doesn't turn out great. I think that your most likely scenario, no matter what, is they're going to feel like they overpaid for him. 
but they're not going to feel like he was, you know, it's not, not going to be a Jason Bay situation. I think it's just going to be, uh, we probably shouldn't have put that much behind him. But you know what? To me, for DeGrom, it's worth it. And I think the guy legitimately does like pitching in New York. As much as New York does not fit his personality, I think he does like pitching in New York. And I think that he, like almost every other Met, was jerked around quite a bit by the Wilpons over their time. I think Steve Cohen has a chance right now to really put forth just 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 to draw a line in the sand and say this is who the Mets are now. We take care of our own. We bring back our players. Um, here's a nice big contract. And if you have a problem with the money, unless you're arguing that it's going to make them do less, I don't understand what your point is. And I think right now, I also think the way the contracts are just structured right now, I mean, Scherzer's going to be paid by the Nationals through like 2035 and not a Bobby Bonilla $1 million payment. Like he's going to be getting substantial payments for them for a long time. I think there are many creative ways to structure the contract if you don't want to burden the team right this second with it. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Um, that's where I'd go, though. Yeah. Sign everybody. Win now. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, exactly. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are there any sort of initial first day and a half of free agency thoughts you have yet about free agency? Or are you just uh, are you just along for the ride here so far? Just waiting to see where things go. Yeah, mostly just along for the ride. I don't have any top priorities for players who would be coming from outside the organization to join the Mets. Um Obviously, there are good players out there. I know Trey Turner had been mentioned as a, a possible uh, major free agent that the Mets might have interest in. But sure. Why not? Uh, I do think if you're considering making a major, major move, uh, if DeGrom signs elsewhere, or, or even if he doesn't, that the Mets should be in the conversation with Aaron Judge. Uh, I'm not going to put too much weight into that report from a week or two ago that uh, Steve Cohen is not going to get into a bidding war with uh, the Yankees ownership because they're friendly or whatever. Like this is still uh, that, what uh, that, that doesn't seem like real (laughs) information to me. Uh, I am not saying that I think the Mets are going to sign Aaron judge, but if other major players sign elsewhere, they should at least consider it. Uh, 
because regardless of his history with the Yankees, he is objectively one of the best, if not the best hitter uh, who's out there. So um, open to any player on the market who can help the Mets. Um, I don't think there's any strings attached to any of them for suspensions of various reasons that would make you not want them on the team as a person. Uh, If I missed something, then I haven't dug deep enough into free agency yet this year. But yeah, let's see where this goes. If if you're looking at uh, uh, at Judge versus uh, Turner, do you have a strong feeling? One way or the other. Uh, I lean toward Judge. I, I and I know a chunk of his home runs have been the result of Yankee Stadium and all that, but he's still one of the premier power hitters in the game, and as much as. Uh, Certain baseball fans hate that about the game. Uh, I'm sorry. It's just, it seems like a better skill to bring in than what Trey Turner can do. And Trey Turner can do a lot. I I don't want to say that he can't, but I just, I still lean toward Judge. I don't know if that makes me old school or not. (laughs) Uh, I I don't know. I don't even know anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Who can tell? Um, I think I go the opposite way. I think I lean towards um, Turner. I just think that with the way the Mets team is constructed right now, I think a Trey Turner at second base or possibly third base or possibly center field, I just think he gives the team so much flexibility. And, um, you know, he, he he's also no slouch at the plate, right? Like this is a a very good hitter, a very good fielder who can kind of play all over the the field. Um, you know, there and the players are not as dissimilar as you maybe think. Judge is uh, thirty, and um, Turner is twenty nine. So you know, Turner's a little bit younger. Turner's career B WAR is twenty nine point seven. Judge's is thirty seven. So I mean, Judge's is you know higher than that. Um, a big part of that, though, is that you know this year, Turner's WAR was four point nine, and uh, Judges was ten point six. So you know when you when you look at like the the you know their careers are actually relatively similar WAR wise until you get to this season because this season was just you know Judges had an all time year, and you know while I definitely think that Judges skill sets skill set may age better because you know. There's that there's sort of very old school understanding of like young man's skills versus old man skills, like power and eye at the plate are old man skills. And, you know, Judge can clearly keep hitting dingers as long as he likes, um, you know, even if he even if he slips a little bit off of his pace and is only hitting 30 or 35 home runs, you know. I just think you you have to look. If he can stay healthy, that guy's going to hit dingers for a very, very long time. Whereas Turner, a lot of his value comes from his legs, from his speed, from his defensive um, prowess, and those don't always necessarily age as well. So I think there's a good chance, good a good argument to be made for either one, but I just think Turner fits the team a little bit better in terms of, um, you know, judge and... Uh, Judge and Alonzo kind of have similar um, things they bring to the table, except that 
you know, uh, Alonzo is a, is a good first baseman, whereas Judge is, uh, you know, maybe not quite as good of an outfielder as as uh, Alonzo is a first baseman. But you know, that's that's not really. I, I to be honest with you, I don't watch a lot of Judge outfield highlights or Yankee games. I watch a lot of Pete at first base, so that's a very different situation too. I, I'm sure there are people out there who are yelling at me saying, "No, Judge is actually a pretty good outfielder," and that might be true. I just never happen to see it. Um, but yeah, I think I go with Turner. But I. I'm happy if they get either one of these guys, and you as a Mets fan are upset. I think you need to like check your life, man. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, all of that is uh, is that's where we are so far in free agency. It's exciting that Diaz is back. I'm excited to see what the team does. I love this time of year. And uh, if you love this time of year, you should do our AAOP, our Amazing Avenue Off-Season Plan Contest. It is happening right now. Uh, Chris, what's the deadline for folks to get their AAOPs in? Uh, Friday the 18th at 5 p.m. All right. So but if you're here this day it comes out, you have a week still to get them in. Um, it is where you get to play Mets GM and have some fun. Uh, we have three that have already been submitted, and uh, I have to say there is some pretty good Microsoft Paint, and by that I mean pretty bad Microsoft Paint uh, jobs done uh, so far, which is fun. Uh, we always love those uh, those Microsoft Paints. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we are with baseball. Chris, what is your music pick for this week? So I was torn, and the two albums that I was torn between would both technically have links to Desert Days because the musicians who made them uh, share uh, existence in two bands. But I'm going to stick with my uh, attempt to go on a streak here with bands that officially played Desert Days. So uh, the Murlocs are going to get some love at some point again this winter, but not yet. Two of them are also in King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, and... I don't know. It's been more than a month since the, since the last time I recommended a King Gizzard record, so <laughs> feels overdue. Uh, but they put out three records in the month of October, and I've enjoyed all three of them, but the one that I'm going to recommend right now is called Laminated Denim. It is uh, two songs that are exactly 15 minutes in length, and it's very jammy, and I don't know. It just, of the three, that's the one that clicked the most for me. Um the second song, Hypertension, is like a really good uh, sort of mix of sounding like King Gizzard always has. And then that, that's kind of weird to say for a band that's constantly changing its sound and, and what to expect from it. But um, it's a really nice balance of, hey, this sounds like them and doing something new at the same time. Um, so yeah, I'm all in it. It's, um, one of those things that like, I don't know if they saw that Trey Anastasio sort of gave him a big shout out in like a New York times article a year ago ish. And we're like, Hey, let's give jamming a little bit more of a, a shot. And it's not like they had never done it before in their career. Um, they certainly had, but I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not. I'm not a big fish guy myself, but uh, obviously they have a huge following and, and that's uh, a significant musician to have give you 
praise in a, in a significant publication. So whether or not that influenced the decision to make records that sound like this one, I don't know. Uh, but it's a really good, exactly half hour long record. Uh, and, and there's just part of me on, on like the number side that respects, okay, this song needs to be an exact length and so does the next one. And let's see what we can do within that window. Um, I think they did a really good job of it. They did not play either of those songs at Desert Days. I don't know if they've played... Uh, I, I think they had some super long sets that they played out at Red Rocks since then, so they might have played some of it there. Um, but I do hope to get to hear uh, at least one of them live myself at some point. So, yeah, there you go. King so Gizzard, I again... <laughs> well, I have a very important question about these two 50-minute songs here. Yeah. Um, are they, like, how do they end? Are they just, like, cut off, like, the end of I Want You, She's So Heavy at the 15-minute mark? Is there a fade-out that ends at the 15-minute like, I'm just trying to figure out how this is uh, how this is executed. Yeah, no, no, they wrap up. There's, there's uh, of course, I can go back and be like, <laughs> watch me listen and go, oh, wait, I got this answer wrong. But there's there's no fade out. There's no uh, hard cut, like you, like you mentioned with the Beatles. They mm -hmm. they wrap it up and uh, and the songs. Um, what what's the phrase that uh, George Costanza uses in Seinfeld? Uh, you know, they they run their course of, of their own volition or something okay. along those lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yeah, no, they they end naturally. Uh, as far as my half dozen listens have <laughs> burned into my memory so far. Yeah, um, yeah. I I uh, I, I want to say we are recording episode one hundred and seventeen right now, and you haven't picked a King Giz record since hundred, so you're overdue, uh, especially for the amount they release. So don't yes. feel bad about it. don't feel don't feel like you're you're falling back on an old habit or something. There's enough record you could you could if you if you picked one every seventeen episodes, you'd probably still have records left over when we stop doing this podcast. Um, by the way, that's twice we've mentioned on this podcast, on this episode, not doing the show anymore. We're not going anywhere, folks. It's <laughs> just, hy just hypotheticals <laughs> that we're saying. We are not planning to wrap this up anytime soon. At least, at least I'm not. And I, I can't speak for Chris, I guess, but I, I think we're doing this for a while, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I, <laughs> There's no plans to change anything. It just five years sounded like a long time. Uh, I don't know why, because we've been doing this more than five 20 years. Yes, and the 2015 Mets don't feel like they're that old, and that was seven years ago. So I, I don't know why I cut. <laughs> no, I get need it. To put a disclaimer on there, but you know, I get it. I get it. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so uh, my pick is, uh, in a weird way, has a relation. You mentioned uh, Trey Anastasio going, uh, you know, giving a high-profile quote about King Giz, and this week. And the end of last week, there has been a lot of people sharing quotes about Mimi Parker. Mimi, I don't know if it's Mimi or Mimi. Um, funny thing, both my mother-in-law and my grandmother went by Mimi, but that's not either of their actual names. So I, I think she, I think Mimi Parker pronounced it Mimi. So let's say Mimi um, of the band Lowe, who passed away last week from ovarian cancer. And um, you know, Lowe is one of those bands that a lot of musicians that I like have cited them as a um, you know as an influence, or maybe not as an influence. Lowe is a band that's kind of hard to incorporate what they do into anything because Lowe is just so singularly themselves but I mean just 
you know, Jeff Tweedy produced one of their records, so it wasn't surprising to see him talk about how much he enjoyed them. Uh, Steve Albini produced two of their records, so it's not shocking to see Steve Albini talk about them. However, it is not every day that Chrissy Hind of the Pretenders calls someone their favorite singer, and that's what they, she, she said about Mimi Parker. Uh, it is not every day that Robert Plant covers one of your songs in tribute. That's what happened this week as well. Um, I've just seen more musicians come out of the woodwork, and uh, even uh, Maynard from Tool. And again, like Tool and Lowe are not necessarily what you think of as bedfellows. Maynard said they were one of the biggest influences on his writing. You know, there's just there's just all of these musicians that are coming out of the woodwork and saying how much Lowe men- means to them. And on one hand, I think that's awesome. But I hope that Mimi knew that before she died, because it's always a shame when people don't don't know how appreciated they are while they're here. Uh, I believe the phrase that the kids use is to give them their flowers now. So I hope that Mimi got her flowers when she was alive. Uh, I actually never got to see Low live, which I am regretting so heavily right now. I have had many opportunities, but it's one of those bands where, like, and I'm sure everyone listening can relate to this, where... It didn't seem urgent. Like, oh, I'll catch low next time they're around. Like, especially because uh, they're a band that, for me, I mean, their records are all. I mean, I don't think they've ever made a bad record, but each one kind of has its own like charism to it that just makes it a little bit different than the one before. And a lot of times, to me, I only really appreciate a record like three records later. Like, oh, thinking back, that was you know that was the one. I wish I had seen them on that tour. And so when each album comes out, it's a different. I'm like, oh, I don't want to see this tour. I don't know if I want to see this tour. I'll wait for the next one. I never got to do it, and that's a real shame because um, I love their records. Their record from last year was one of my. Uh, we do our year end music show here, and the record Hey What was one of the five records I spotlighted last year. Um, a really different, powerful record for them. But I want to go back a little bit to their uh, 2005 record, The Great Destroyer. This is uh, when they still had their bass player, Zach Sally, with them, who left, I believe, maybe after this record, maybe after the next one. Uh, They've had a number of bass players uh, over their course of time, but the heart of the band is Mimi Parker on drums and vocals and her husband, Alan Sparhawk, on guitar and vocals. And I will say their voices blend in the most... I think they have my favorite blended vocal of any band of all time. Maybe save the Beach Boys, and that's a huge, huge compliment coming from me. Um, their voices just made something really unique and singular together. Like when their when their voices mixed, it's just it's the most beautiful sound. And uh, on the Great Destroyer, they have uh, two. I mean, there's there's, a, there's many good songs on this. To me, there are two songs that stand out above the rest. The first is the song that um, Robert Plant covered with his band last week, which is called Monkey, the first track on the record. Uh, And Robert Plant does a great job with it. His cover does not change the arrangement very much. Um, But, you know, I don't think this was a song they were playing live to begin with, and then he learned it when she passed, so I can't imagine a total reinvention of it. But a really beautiful version by Robert Plant. So Monkey is the first track. And uh, the ninth track on the record is called When I Go Deaf. And that is probably my favorite Alan Sparhawk song, low song. Uh, beautiful, beautiful song. And it's it, it like so many low songs, because they are sung by a husband and wife, they take on a whole new meaning and a whole new um, just, uh, you know, it, 
I remember seeing at, at, when George Harrison died, they did the concert for George a year later, and Ringo Starr had sang the song Photograph, and he said, you know, this song takes on a new meaning because it's about a relationship ending, but now it's about his friend being gone. And so, um, you know, the song talks about how Sparhawk is saying when he goes deaf, you know, he doesn't even mind because he'll, he'll still he'll still have, you know, all the good things in his life. And he talks about his marriage a little bit in that song. And so it's just sad to hear that song now, knowing that that marriage has ended because of Mimi's death. And so, yeah, uh, you can't go wrong with any low record, but uh, The Great Destroyer, uh, produced by the great Dave Fridman, is one of my favorites. And so let's uh, let's all pour one out for Mimi Parker this week and uh, listen to some low if you haven't before. I, I don't think you'll be disappointed. And uh, that does it for this week's episode. Again, you got a week to uh, do your AAOP if you want to get in on that. If not, go to AmazingAvenue.com and read the AAOPs and all the other great content that we have from our uh, staff. We are uh, doing season re- season reviews of all the players who played for the Mets last season. Maybe not all of them. We, we, we have a... Uh, uh, a minimum innings or at-bats thresholds. We're not writing about every single player, but most of the players that you watched last year, you'll be able to read about over the coming weeks. We're uh, doing what we can to cover news. And uh, yeah, go to AmazonAvenue.com for all of that. You can also follow Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find this show and all the other Amazing Avenue podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you find the show. That does help us out quite a bit. You can follow Chris on Twitter for now at Chris McShane. I'm on Twitter for now at Brian is an app. Who knows what's going to happen with that train wreck of a platform? Uh, they just announced, by the way, that uh, you can no longer buy a verification. So, uh, yeah, things are going They very... changed that already? Yes, they changed it this morning. They pulled the plug on it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh, what a joke. <laughs> I simply say LOL. There's nothing else to yes. say about, about this. Um, but yeah, so for now, we're on Twitter. Uh, who knows about by next time? But until then, let's go, Mets. Let's go, Mets.